today in our chapter on the Lord's Supper, chapter 29. And we'll read this paragraph again. Uh, Two weeks ago, we closed by reading it. We'll read it again, and we will begin looking at these scripture references together. Private masses, or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other alone, as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements and lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament and to the institution of Christ. Now, these are all kind of specific issues. We, we might have said, there. well, there's no end of things you could list out that you shouldn't do. Uh, when God has provided the the path of righteousness and direction in his word, and that's true. But these are issues that are specific to the history of the church, even when this was written. The Roman Catholic Church in particular was practicing and teaching and continues to uh, these various uh, alterations, departures from the instructions of the scripture, and so they're specifically mentioned for that reason. And so we had looked two weeks ago at this issue of why we don't celebrate the Lord's Supper at a private manner, uh, that it is an aspect of worship. It is also uh, an aspect of uh, recognizing the body of Christ, of doing this together, partaking of one bread and recognizing that we're all members of one body together. We're not allowed to um, change that in terms of the teaching of Scripture as though we can have Jesus Christ uh, without having any share in his body. And so we see here in this first reference, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, we have just a reference to a passage that recounts certain of the happenings there with the people of Israel and Moses. And there is this summary statement here in verse 6. We'll read, and then we'll go back and read these specifics. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so how does that apply to this matter of having uh, private administration of the Lord's Supper? Well, we look to the, our fathers in, in the covenant community, the Old Testament people of God, And we are to learn from their um, failures as well as their obedience and not do those things ourselves. And one of the things that as we we read this, uh, beginning back in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And there are really two, I think, specific things in that period of the history of Israel that the Apostle Paul is bringing as an application to God's people there in Corinth and to us today. The first is to miss the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and what they had gone through. That even there in the Old Testament, he certainly hadn't come 
uh, in flesh, but we see the scripture teaching us clearly that Christ by his spirit was present. He was the, the mediator, the redeemer that God was promising. And sadly for many of these people, they went through all of these experiences of the deliverance from Egypt, uh, passing through the Red Sea, eating the manna, drinking the water from the rock there in the wilderness. All of these things weren't just a physical provision. They certainly did provide for them. But they were illustrating and picturing and leading them by faith to see this spiritual reality that they depended upon God and his provision, uh, that nothing of flesh would help them, that they would be better, in fact, in a wilderness where there was no evidence of physical provision around them, nothing that they could see and, and take comfort from that they were provided for except this one thing, that God was in their midst, that the pillar of fire and cloud had led them and that God was their provider, teaching them uh, away from self-reliance, away from uh, reliance upon the flesh, and to look to God himself to provide all their needs uh, down to the very bread they eat and the water they drink. And so that, that, I think, is one thing. But the other is, of course, that when we go back and read that history of Israel, Moses, as the leader that God had sent, was the prophet of God. And when he came, he wasn't just coming in his own authority. He was coming as sent from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he came bringing God's word to them. And that is why it was so offensive when you read that to the Lord himself. They would complain against Moses, you know, ah, this is terrible, this isn't good, this, we're not being cared for, what have you. And then the Lord's anger would rise, and Moses would many times intercede and pray for them that they would not perish before that. And it was because Moses was delivering God's word, and the people were complaining ultimately not against Moses, but against God himself. And so when we, when we seek an application of that to ourselves here in the New Testament, that's what Paul says in verse 6. These things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Um, we must regard God's word and the authority of his word, submit to that authority, uh, accept God's word as our direction, not chafe against it or pull against it or complain against it and seek some other better way, so we think, but to submit to that. And back to the confession and the point that they were draw drawing us to consider is any departure even in the church today, from what God has provided, from what he has revealed, it's, it's the same issue. It's no different from Moses coming as a prophet and declaring God's word to his people and them not being content with that, not being satisfied with it, not submitting to it, embracing it, and following it. Uh, we could do the same thing, and that is actually the issue when we come to the Lord's Supper we find just the very simple, basic, clear instructions that Jesus himself delivered there on that night of institution. He tells us what to do. He shows us what to do. And yet the sinful heart of man uh, in this, as in so many other things, uh, seeks 
to pull away from that, seeks to add to it, to become inventive or to find something different. And so there's a sober warning uh, that these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. For those back in the days of Moses and the children of Israel, for those who did chafe against the word of God and reject it as the authoritative word in their life, uh, it did not end well. Uh, These were those who perished in the wilderness because they refused to believe the promise of God and look to him for the deliverance. And so that's uh, certainly a sober reminder. Back to the confession, we have a couple more references with this next phrase, likewise the denial of the cup to the people. Uh, This is specific now of this issue of departing from the instruction of God. If you go to Mark chapter 4, verse 23, again, uh, the men who were referencing these scriptures, they're certainly not sparing our feelings if, if we're on the wrong side of this issue. Um, here, here's the first of these references. As Jesus is teaching, uh, again, what is the issue? God's word. God's word has come in, personally in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in his teaching, God's word, his authority has been declared and what is, what is the warning in verse 24? He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. And back up in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With, what, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he goes on to give the parable of the sower, which, of course, is a parable illustrating the importance, the, the all-importance of our relationship with God's Word, our response to God's Word in our hearts and lives, uh, that we're the field, God's Word is the seed. And there are all different manners of responses. Uh, there's, there's the hard-packed soil of the path, and there is the weedy and and uh, briary soil of the one whose heart is full of the world and there is the shallow soil of the one who has a good looking exterior uh, declaration oh yes i'm here to hear god's word but underneath is that stony heart that is full of resistance Uh, it hasn't been made new by the spirit of god and then of course the good soil So, again, the issue at stake is when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should be looking to God's Word and hearing the Word of God instruct us as to how we should observe it, as in all of worship and, indeed, all of life. But when we come to the practice of the Roman Catholic Church, they they withhold the cup from the people. They allow them to partake of the bread but not of the cup. And on what authority? This is where the, the assembly that penned this confession of faith is, is pointing us to the authority of Scripture. On what authority do leaders in the church think they can withhold one of the two elements in the Lord's Supper from God's own people? 
And so we're pointed to that matter of let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then to 1 Corinthians 11, 25 through 29. So what does God's word say? If we have ears to hear, let us hear God's word. And here's what God's word says. In, we'll begin in verse 23 and read through verse 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, notice how Paul applies those instructions to the church there at Corinth. In other words, when Jesus spoke this initially, he was in that upper room. They had just celebrated the Passover meal, and he institutes this new supper. And who was there? Well, certainly the disciples were there. We know that. We can read there in the Gospels. It was the disciples who would also be the apostles sent out to uh, declare the gospel in all the world. What Rome applies from that is that the the cup would be reserved only for the priests and those who were called, similar to the apostles, to declare the gospel in all the world or to be ministers in the church. Uh, Of course, that's an arbitrary conclusion to draw. Why not say that about the bread as well? Because that also was administered in a supper there in an upper room just with those disciples present. So there's no clear reference to Scripture in even that conclusion. But notice how Paul would lift us out of that difficulty entirely in verse 27. He applies that institution to the entire congregation there at Corinth in a manner of correcting uh, their misadministration of this. But notice in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see how these things are so clear. Uh, Paul doesn't say that a person should examine himself and eat of the bread and, and watch the pastor drink of the cup. No, each each believer in Jesus professing that faith Uh, This is the supper for them. Christ is offering himself to his people by faith, and that's what's pictured here in the Lord's Supper. So what a terrible thing. I mean, it's wrong. Uh, it's, It's wrong to get anything different from what God has said, but what a terrible thing to reinforce and hammer down upon God's people for centuries that uh, some aspect of the work of Christ, his blood being shed, is, is not for them to share in, but is reserved for a more elite uh, within the church. Uh, what a terrible thing to say. And so again, that brings sheds further light on this reference to Mark 4.23. Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, uh, let him hear. Uh, what does that say about the Roman Catholic Church with their practice uh, in, in this matter of withholding the cup from God's people? Well, when God's word has been declared so plainly that God's people are to be sharing in this sacramental meal 
for them to withhold it is for them to show they don't have ears to hear the word of God with faith and submission. Again, what, how big of an issue is that? Well, go, go ask Moses in the Old Testament uh, what the consequences are for a people who reject the authority of God's word and pursue their own thoughts and hearts instead. So we keep reading. It was likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament and to the institution of Christ. So again, these are specific issues that the reformers were pointing out were gross abuses, departures from God's word, not only were they uh, that, not only did they depart from the teaching of Scripture, but they also, in that, as we would expect, uh, began to violate or, or depart from the very intended purpose of the meal itself. What is the purpose, as we've seen? It is to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the great Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of his people. It's to point us to Christ. Uh, rather, uh, to ignore the teaching of Scripture, and again, where, where do we find any, any instructions in the New Testament that would involve uh, lifting up the elements, carrying them about, and letting God's people look upon them with adoration, um, treating them as, as sacred in and of themselves, that's nowhere in Scripture. That, that much is, is clear. We've read the institution of the Lord Jesus. We've read the uh, repeated instructions here in 1 Corinthians 11. It's not there. Not only is it adding to Scripture, departing from Scripture, but uh, what is it doing in terms of the intended nature of the sacrament? Well, instead of pointing God's people, inviting them to come to Christ, to partake of him, to look to him by faith, to be strengthened in their, in their faith by uh, taking of Christ uh, in their hearts. Well, it's putting all the emphasis upon the outward form, upon the elements themselves. It's drawing their eyes away from the one who is the only Savior of sinners and teaching them to, to make an icon or an idol or some uh, attach some sacred reverence to the elements themselves very contrary to the intended nature of the sacrament um, it's also contrary to the institution of Christ and again that's sufficient when we when we come to a question about the Lord's Supper and how it should be observed God's word settles the issue we we don't need to look beyond that and so in Matthew 15 verse 9 the assembly points us to another reference. Now, it's a quote from Isaiah 29. But here in the teaching of Jesus, as he is interacting with the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the, uh, over the traditions of the elders, uh, he, he addresses the fact that they have, over the course of time, been departing from the pure word of God and looking more and more to the interpretations of it, uh, these traditions of the elders, which aren't primary, they're not God's word, and they increasingly misunderstood and misapplied 
the Word of God to the point that those looking to these traditions of the elders could be found to be breaking the very clear command of God in favor of the tradition of the elders. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And that last verse is where the assembly that is writing this confession of faith uh, directs us to consider what are the serious consequences of departing from the institution of Christ, departing from the word of God when we come to worship him. Well, God tells us again and again in his word, and this is one of the, the clearest in Isaiah 29 that Jesus quotes, that when a people profess God's name and draw near to worship him, if they're not coming with sufficient reverence to hear him, to hear his word, and then to worship according to the instruction of God, it's vain worship. It's vain worship when they come under his name to to worship him, but then instead of speaking his word and practicing his command, they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. They come up with their own instructions and own ideas and own rules for what worship should look like. And God says, he, he of course, sees the heart. He does not look as a man looks. And he knows that this is an indication of a heart far from him, far from reverencing and, and loving and worshiping him as he ought to be that it leads to a vain worship that is not pleasing to him. And uh, it is polluted with the commandments of men instead of the commandments of God. And so that applies, you know, not just to this issue, but it applies to ourselves, certainly. As we come to worship God, we need to be take care, and we, we endeavor to, but we must always be humble before the authority of the word of God and look to God's word as the guide and the standard and the direction that we're called to follow. That's what it means to worship God. It's, it's not to elevate our own thoughts and wishes and to follow those. That's worshiping self. To worship God is to recognize him as God, to submit to him, to, to declare to him, God, I belong to you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to praise you. I'm here to show all honor to you. I'm here to listen to your word and to do all of this, uh, not just on my own fancies, but in submission to what you have said, because you've told me in your word everything I need to know 
uh, as to how to worship you and to live a life that glorifies you. And so that is, that is the attitude that reveres God's word. And that is the worship that God truly accepts. It is offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in a humble submission to God.
He gives the, the, the effect of this, the blessing of this. Why is he doing this? Why is he going to the cross? Why is his body going to be broken? Why is his blood going to be shed? It's for his people. And he gives himself to his people. That's what he's doing there upon the cross, and that's what he does in this sacramental meal. He gives the bread and the wine to them. He says, it's shed for you. It's broken for you. I'm giving myself for you and to you. You need to take of me and feed. Now, the issue then comes when he calls the bread his body and he calls the the wine his blood. Is Is he referring to that sacramentally or is he, as Rome teaches, magically or supernaturally at least, transforming those elements into that very thing, that what he handed them still looked like bread, but in actual fact was somehow a portion of his body, and that the the wine in the cup, it still looked like wine, but when he said the words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, that even though it continued to look like wine, that it was actually transformed into the blood of Christ. Now, of course, we're going to have a lot more focus on that issue in the next paragraph, and we're not going to try to take all of that this morning. But I want you to, first, we're going to read the words of institution in Matthew 26, and then again, Our guide is the Word of God. We don't have to leave that as an unanswered question. In the the words of institution, in verse 26 of Matthew 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is... My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We see the the phrases there, and we want to also have full regard for the Word of God. So how do we understand that? Is it actually transformed into those things, or is it just symbolically representing them? Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11 we see and before before you do that just stay there in Matthew 26 as after he has declared those words of institution after he has declared this cup he's given thanks he's given it to them he said drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins notice the next verse What does Jesus say, still with reference to that very cup that he is handing them? I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what were they drinking? Were they drinking literal blood? Or were they drinking what Jesus says in verse 29, this fruit of the vine? It's still wine in its substance. Also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And and again, this, this is the other passage that in even more detail 
goes through those words of institution, applying them to the practice of the church. And we can begin in verse 26, uh, picking up on a quotation of those very words of institution. Uh, Well, for the continuity, let's just back up to verse 23 again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, notice in these succeeding verses how the bread and the cup are referred to. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so... Eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there in Matthew twenty six twenty nine, Jesus referred to the cup after having set it apart for this use and said, I won't drink again this fruit of the vine. And in 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul is exhorting them about how they partake of this sacramental meal. In light of those words of institution, he repeatedly refers to eating the bread after it has been set apart for this use. So when we take that back to Matthew 26, we see that when Jesus said, this is my body, which is, which is broken for you, we, we can understand that in a faithful way to the rest of Scripture, that, the, that he is speaking symbolically. This represents my body. This is my body which is broken for you. This is what is happening. I am about to go and give myself to be broken for you and to shed my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm doing this for you. I'm giving myself to you. Not in a literal, physical sense. Again, Jesus was sitting there handing them this he was still uh, even before he had been crucified upon the cross but rather sacramentally so it is truly it's truly referred that way it's not that Jesus is misrepresenting things but if we understand him correctly he is referring to the bread by the name of what it represents the body of Christ he's referring to the cup by the name of the thing it represents, the blood of Christ. So this is sacramental language. Again, when we, when we begin with submission to the authority of God's word and we allow God's word to help explain and cast light on the rest of what God has said, uh, we can know with certainty what God has spoken to us. But there's just no manner of end of the evil that falls us when we depart from that. All right, let's go ahead and read then 
the sixth paragraph. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthroweth the nature of the sacrament, and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. And this just brings to a conclusion what we've already seen, that it is contrary to Scripture, but it also is contrary to what is referred to here as common sense and reason. That is, when you see the, the scene there of the upper room and Jesus is handing out what some would say is an actual piece of his body, how is it that he is complete and intact and, and um, sitting there alive and, and supposedly handing out portions of his own flesh uh, that, that is not, uh, does not comport with, with what we see the scriptures teach? And it, it is impossible, in fact, in terms of the rest of what the Bible teaches about the body of the Lord Jesus. And let's look quickly at those references. First of all, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. What is it that is impossible or, or a contradiction with the rest of what God has said? With respect to the body of Jesus, how can we know that he's not physically coming and presenting himself in all of the sacramental meals of all the congregations of God's people the world over again and again and again every time. How can we know that? Well, we've, we've seen enough to know what the Lord Jesus was referring to, but notice the language of the Scriptures with respect to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a true human body. And in in Acts chapter 3 verse 19 repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago this begins to make reference to what is known as the second coming of the Lord Jesus, that he has ascended into heaven, and as the verse 21 says, heaven must receive him until the time for restoring all things, that Jesus will come back in a physical return to this earth, but not many times every week, but once at the end of time, to conclude history, heaven must receive him until that time, the time for restoring all things. Um, back to 1 Corinthians 11 and Luke 24. If you are to take the words of institution in some literal sense rather than a sacramental sense, when Jesus said, this is my body which is for you and this is... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You go also over to Luke chapter 24. 
verse 6, the body of Jesus in his human nature, it's of a like nature as ours. He's truly the Son of Man, just as he is truly the Son of God. And so with respect to his physical person, notice what um, in Luke 24, verse 6, what the angels would say to those women who had come seeking the body of Jesus in his tomb. Uh, They expected to find him there still dead and cold, and they were going to show honor to his body. But uh, they did not find, in verse 3, the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, you're familiar with those following verses. What's the point of verse 6? Well, as the Son of God... Jesus is God, and where is God? Well, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. His glory fills heaven and earth, but he also is the Son of Man. And with respect to his physical person as one of the children of men, notice what the angel could say about him. He is not here. He's not in two places at once. He's not here because he's left here. So he, he has a, a physical body of, of like nature as ours, as the scriptures teach. In um, verse 39 of that same passage, again, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. He, he came and stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. This is after he's been raised from the dead. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and ate before them. So what's the point of that? Again, he had a body of a like nature as ours. And so we know that Jesus has been seated on the throne of heaven. We know that he is returning one day at the end of history. Uh, What does that mean about this doctrine that the priest can take the bread and, and lift it up and say, this now is the body of Christ? Actually, literally which is literally broken for you in this moment. Well, it's a denial of the manhood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a person of the children of men uh, just as we are. He, He has a body that is one place and is not another place, as the angel said. And where he is is in heaven, waiting that day when he will return. Uh, Where he is not is... Uh, being transformed through transubstantiation from the elements of the Lord's Supper.
All right, we've run to the end of our time, so let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for teaching us that we might know the truth, we might be kept from various errors that would arise from the hearts of men. Lord, errors arise from our own hearts just as easily. Foolishness is, is within all of us, and we look to you and the wisdom of your word that we might have a lamp for our feet and a light for our path that we might walk well in your fellowship. Please bless us now as we gather to worship you. We pray that our hearts would be full of your Holy Spirit and would be uh, genuine in our faith, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.